Welcome to Core Nourishment. I'm Annie Wagner, your host. This podcast is designed to empower, inspire, ignite presence, purpose, and intention in your day. Hello, fabulous Core Nourishment community. Welcome back to the Core Nourishment podcast. This is Annie Wagner, your host. And thank you so much for being here, for tuning in, sharing the pod with your friends and family, and subscribing. And if you haven't already done so, if you wouldn't mind just taking a quick moment and heading on over to Apple Podcasts and offering a rating and a review, I would so appreciate it. So I was so delighted to dive back into conversation for the second time with Susan McNamara for episode 49. She's founder of Remembering What Matters Most, certified holistic health counselor, a Kripalu yoga teacher, educator, and writer. And in this episode, I got to hold space for her to really share and open up all about her new book, Trusting Your Body, The Embodied Journey of Claiming Sacred Responsibility for Your Health and Well-Being. So we talked all about what's nourishing her these days, her recent weekend in the mountains, cold plunges, and then again, just dove into her sharing what inspired her to write this book and what it's really about. It's an invitation into an awakening in how one looks at their body, how they treat it, how they feel about it and relate to it. And Susan says, being in a body that is well cared for is the most generous act you will ever do for not only yourself, but for everyone around you. So tune into this episode and enjoy soaking up Susan's passion, her realness, energy, and wisdom. And if you are interested in ordering a copy of her book or reaching out to Susan directly, head on over to her website, www.rememberingwhatmattersmost.com. We're rolling, Susan. What a joy it is to be able to land with you again here. Um, I'm so, so excited for you to be able to share about your your book, which we'll get to. Um, And just in case for listeners who are out there, if you did not already have a chance to listen to our conversation, um, it was episode 40. I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to that one um, where Susan really dives into talking about her story and her incredible work that she is doing um, and the impact that she's making on this world. Um, but so Susan, having you right here, um, I am. I just said this to you before I hit record, but what a gift it is to start my, my week with you. And I always am curious when I land with people just to know like what is lighting up your heart right now and nourishing you today. Mm. Yeah, I love that question. And I think I especially love it today because I'm having the same experience of this is my first kind of beat to hit to start this week. And so it feels really powerful to be starting it in this kind of a conversation and for somebody to be actually asking me like what's lighting me up right now. And so where I'm at right now, like we were talking earlier, I'm in the afterglow of being up in Crawford Notch for the weekend with a very close friend and 
every day we got out and we spent time in the mountains and I actually got into the river and as cold as it was, I felt like it's always a kind of, yeah, it's like a rebirth uh, kind of moment for me. And so today I'm just very much with that, the, the beauty, the magnitude, the perspective that the mountains always offer me. And I just felt really connected to the spirit of mountains this past weekend. And so today I've just been taking all of the moments and the learnings and trying to integrate them so that I can bring them back into my day to day, because I think that that's one of the most important things that we have to figure out how to do is how do you take those moments? So whether it's an away weekend, like I just did, or a morning practice, and how do you bring it into your life um, on the day to day? And so I feel really, like I said, lit up with the weekend and, and all that's still coming through from it. And incredibly grateful that I had the space that I did this morning, Mm -hmm. so that I could actually reflect back on the weekend and what it really was for me. Whew, that is amazing, Susan. And that you plunged into the cold water. I, <laughs> I have so I give you so much. Um, I have so much respect for you in that way. Uh, I know that there's so much to that scientifically for our bodies, but also just um, to be one with that that feeling in your body. Talk about aliveness. <laughs> so okay, well, it's an incredible yeah. aliveness, and it's interesting because I actually started it having no knowledge of anything, either physical or spiritual. You know, decades ago, and the reason why I was doing it was because it seemed to me that when I would get in the water like that after a day, or at the time I was doing more backpacking, a couple of days of hiking, it it felt like it took the heat out of my joints. It felt like it gave some kind of comfort to muscles that really weren't used to doing what they were doing. And so that's how it initially got started. And then over time, it has also morphed into more of a, of a kind of closeness to nature and a kind of almost like rebirthing, if you will. And, and that realization too, and this is one of the things that, that this friend of mine, Joanna and I spoke on, you know, together a lot this past weekend about the, the hiking itself or going into this freezing cold water about how many moments of discomfort there are and what a parallel to life that it is that there's many, many, many moments of discomfort. And how is it that we're going to meet those moments? You know, we're living in a time where you've never been able to medicate yourself more than you can right now and turn away and deny. But if you can learn to be with the discomfort, not only is there this deep capacity that's built, but there's that sense of aliveness that you're talking about, you know, because it's funny, like yesterday or whatever the last day I was that I was in the water, it was almost unbearable. Like you almost feel like, you know, your hand is being smashed with a hammer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, It's very intense, but then you get out and it's like, in a matter of seconds, it all changes into something else. And so that I always have this feeling of like, oh, I kind of want to go back in again, because in the aftermath of the discomfort is this clarity and this freedom and this sense of connection. And so, yeah, so that's why I do it, because there's just so much on the other side, I think, of what we would typically avoid. I love that, Susan, because it's like this invitation to, and we talked about this in our last conversation, but to simply 
learn how to be with ourselves and sit in those places of discomfort without numbing, running away, avoiding, so much easier said than done. And I feel like that is the practice. And that metaphor of, you know, plunging in the water, staying in there for a few breaths, when all you want to do is probably (laughs) jump out right away. But then recognizing and remembering that that discomfort is is temporary. It's not permanent. And that you get to then change and kind of um, morph through that and and have that experience on when you get out of this awakening or enlivening, you know, um, inside is, yeah, that's, that's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that is, is cold water or are cold water plunges or baths a part of your everyday, or it sounds like it's a part of your routine. You said for years now, but how often are you doing that? Whether a shower or jumping in a lake or a river, uh, basically when as often as I can, you know, so I know it's now become a thing like the Wim Hof and the cold water plunges yeah. and all of that. But honestly, it was just something that I just naturally started to do a couple of decades ago. And so it started backpacking and then I lived on the Cape for a number of years and I went through a couple of years where I made it a point to get into the ocean every every month of the year, basically. And a lot of times, honestly, I feel like these things sometimes that get created are really born out of very natural urges inside of ourselves. And, you know, when I was doing it in the ocean, again, sometimes it was almost like this way to just clear something or kind of blow something out of my system, you know, especially when you go in and it's that cold. So I've done it for a long time. And then now where we live, there's also a river at the back of our property. And so I don't have any like rules or time schedule about when I do it. I really, it's when I feel called or it's whenever I get the opportunity to either be back on the Cape or in the mountains, I, I, I like make it a point to get back in at those times. So incredible. So I'm curious, is there like a statement or a word that you say to yourself right before you go in that you're like, I can do yeah. it? Cause I'm imagining yeah. I will have to really pep talk myself to, to jump in. <laughs> yeah. My, my phrase, and I was saying it to my friend is don't think. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Don't think and don't hesitate because mm-hmm. it's like you, there has to be this kind of click over in your mind. And again, I feel like it's a metaphor for our lives, just this click where you're, where you're committing inside of yourself that this is something that you're going to do. Because if there's even the, the least bit of hesitation, if you're just slowly taking your clothes off or slowly making your way in, it's going to be so torturous that I think most times you won't do it. So for me, it's like, there has to be that, it's like a switch that gets flipped where there's this commitment. And then, you know, I'll just be like, don't think about this, just do it because the mind will give us all kinds of reasons about why it's not a good idea. Oh, you're going to fall. Something bad's going to happen. This, because it's really the water we were in is cold enough. And I was actually telling my friend this story last year, I was up there by myself and I got in, in. I can't remember if it was either October or June and my feet went so immediately numb that I had that moment of like, uh Oh, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to climb back up out of this thing. Right. So my mind started to go back to that place again, into the past. And that's why for me, it's like, don't think just go in like do because 
we talk ourselves in and out of things all the time. We make up stories, we pull up the past. And for me, it's one of those moments where I just really click the mind off completely and, and just don't even listen to that stuff. Amazing, Susan. And now, now you're really inviting me to, cause it, I've dabbled in cold water, you know, whether it's showers or, or jumping in the ocean off season in my mind, off season, I know for you, it's, there's no season, but, um, but thank you for inspiring me to really revisit that practice. It's something I've been drawn to. And there's a woman locally in the seacoast area who has started, has started this whole, um, kind of dip down to rise up like community around it and, and ocean plunges, um, weekly. Um, so thank you for nudging me to lean into that and to, to make that leap. So I'll, yeah, it's so, after- <laughs> yes, well, and you're just making me think when you're talking about that woman doing community, it's so fun to do it in community. And I just had this flash where last year, down at Thanksgiving, my husband and I, and then my sister-in-law, who's actually a good friend that we just went hiking with and her husband and her two kids, we did this little fun, you know, turkey trot run thing. We made up ourselves around this cranberry bog. And then we went with like also another family and we kind of made it a game, like who could get into the ocean fast enough, but there were like 10 of us, like in a line. And we just (laughs) like screaming into the ocean in November. And it was so it was so invigorating and enlivening and I just felt so connected to everybody. And so there is this really great thing that you can do with like the people around you to like take a chance, you know, get off the hamster wheel, do something different. Like, and I just feel like for me, it it always kind of connects me to like, what is possible, you know, like what is possible when I can get out of my ruts and my routines and all of the ways that my mind will say I can and cannot do something. And so for me, it always links to that. Yeah. What a perfect segue because what the word embodiment keeps showing up for me as you're talking, Susan, because I keep hearing you kind of come back home to your body and, and come back to the trust in your body. And when you said, you know, you heard the voice say, oh, my feet are going so numb and you went to the past. I'm hearing you shift to that place of possibility and that wisdom in your body and trusting in it. So I would love for you because the word embodied is in your title of your book that you recently self-published. Um, it's called Trusting Your Body, The Embodied Journey of Claiming Sacred Responsibility for your health and well-being. Whew, that title is so I have the chills. So I would love for you if um if you feel comfortable to dive right right there to share with listeners um about your book and the kind of I guess the general subject but also I'm curious to know about that title. <laughs> it probably embodies everything you're talking about but it, it it does. And I, I was just, as you were talking, it was, it's interesting for me to be doing it right at this time as I just did come out of the mountains, because one of the conversations that my friend and I were having was why it is that I'm so drawn to something like hiking and why I did backpacking and something that I started back in my twenties. And, and in that time period of my twenties, when I started to get into the mountains for the first time, was the exact same time that I was probably the hardest and the worst on my body that I had ever been, you know, in terms of whether it was like doing a ton of partying, I was like smoking cigarettes, I was um, eating to 
sort of medicate, you know, experiences that I was having. And one of the things that got, that really hooked me in the beginning with the hiking, with the backpacking. And I, I, you know, this is all in hindsight, like I couldn't have told you this back then, but there was a way I realized talking with my friend this weekend about how close I, I needed to be to my body in order to be able to do these hikes and these backpacking trips that I was doing, because, you know, there's a motto that says, you know, drink before you're thirsty and eat before you're hungry. Um, because if you let yourself get really depleted while you're out there, you'll bonk, you'll have a really hard time coming back. And that was like the first time I think that I really started to notice things like signals of hunger and signals of thirst. And then, you know, you would have to pay attention to things like if there was a little, you know, crimp in your sock or something, which for a few minutes, a mile wouldn't be a big deal, but five miles in oh, would turn into a raging blister, right? That would make it right. impossible to walk. So I, it's, it's so like, I just love the synchronicities of life that we're even having this conversation today because that was the first time that I realized, I think that that was one of my first forays into embodiment and into learning how to trust my body, you know, whether it was kind of being close enough to pay attention to those signs and signals, but also starting to sense what my body was capable of beyond sort of the stuff that I was putting it through that had nothing to do with like health and well-being. So when I'm thinking about that time period, I can see that it is a foundation and then it threads all the way through to now when you're saying, you know, how did you come to that title? And I remember the woman that I was working with said, especially for the subtitle, every word has to count. And so I spent, you know, it, sometimes I was like, is this too long? But I really spent a lot of time thinking about it. And every word there, I'm just looking at my own copy has, has weight and has meaning like the word claiming this is a huge part of what I'm talking about in this book about trusting your body. Nobody is going to do this for you. Yeah. No, nobody is going to do this for you. Like you have to claim that this is your body. This is your responsibility. And it's a sacred one. This isn't just like, Oh, now you're supposed to eat healthy. And now you need to exercise 30 minutes of a day. Like I actually can't stand that kind of stuff. This is about really being so embodied, developing such an embodied relationship with yourself that you not only know how to tend to your body's most basic needs, but that you start to see the body as a portal, if you will, or a container of your spirit. Like this is so much more than physical health. It's so much more than mental health. It's so much more than your energy level or your mood. I mean, it includes all of that, but it is for me really coming to, which is, you know, one of my first lines in this um, thing that I call the embodiment manifesto, that who we are, who you are, and how we or you live matters. You know, and, and for me, that is fundamental because back in my 20s, when I was describing that time period of just really being very destructive in my body, I didn't know that I mattered at mm. all. Yeah. At all. I didn't know that my life mattered. I didn't know that my life had value. I didn't know that my life was precious. And I can see the consequences and the results of that. And then on the other hand, where I am now, I can see the results of 
making the choice, you know, and, and walking the, the journey of coming to the place where I know that by trusting, learning how to trust my body has brought me to the place to understand that who I am and my life matters. But, you know, I also want to make the point, I mean, I'm 60 years old and I'm talking about a time period that started back in my mid twenties. And this is not something that is going to happen in a day, a week. It's not a 30 day program. It's not a 90 day program, right? Which is a lot of what's out there right now. Do this. And in 30 days, you'll have that. And that's just nonsense. You know, this is a lifelong journey and it starts when it starts and it starts wherever you are. And a big part of it is, is learning how to pass through that discomfort that we were talking about. Like that's really how things got started for me back in my twenties was coming to that place where I was just like, there has got to be something else than this and turning towards all the stuff that I had been denying and avoiding, like, like literally going like right through the center of the discomfort. And again, I want to say, you know, it's, it's like having, you know, a a hundred million piece puzzle or something, you know, like it takes a long time to kind of work through all those pieces and where they belong. Um, And it's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually now picturing that puzzle. I'm closing my eyes and imagining all those pieces and how overwhelming it can be. And I so appreciate your sharing, like just really, you know, raw in the raw that, yeah, you were at this place in your twenties, you're, you're 60. Now you're still practicing this. It's not something we, we master and, and we snap our fingers and have done and we're fixed, you know? So, um, I, I love that you started this part of the conversation with really talking about that word claiming that's in your title, because that's talk about empowerment, because how often do we just observe in our society, or I know in my own experience, I've, I've, you know, been craving someone just to help fix this one part of me, you know, thinking, you know, or people go to um, the chiropractor or acupuncturist and, and are like after a visit or two or like, why isn't this working? You know, expecting this immediate result and it's forever, like just a forever practice. And in our bodies, like the I love the vision of our cells are constantly regenerating um, if we're fueling, fueling our body in a really healthy way, which, which is uh, what your practice is about, Susan. So I'm curious. So let's go back to that vision of you in your twenties. And then now what was one of those first puzzle pieces that you, and you shared a little bit in, in our last conversation in, in episode 40 um, and then the last interview, but for listeners right now, what is one of those first practices or puzzle pieces that helped bring you more to possibility and health? Yeah. So I think, like I said, you know, I started for some reason and I, I have no idea why 25 was a rock your world kind of birthday for me um, more than any other birthday has been. And I, and I really felt the full weight of my God, I've been here for a quarter of a century. I mean, that was the phrase. Cause that just feels like a giant amount of time at that point in your life, right? A quarter of a century. And what have I been doing? And, and that for me feels almost like, you know, I've really come to see that I do think that 
there's so much that we can do and contribute to our lives. And then I also feel like there's almost this like evolutionary readiness. And I feel like for whatever reasons, I kind of hit that. And I think we all have moments like that in our lives where we kind of hit a crossroads and we're not happy and we're heavy with like not what's not working. And we've got, we've got a choice point at that moment that we can continue to step forward as we have been or we can take a hard look. And so I think the first thing that started for me was, and I can't say why it was at that time period, but this like a willingness to look at like how unhappy I was in general. And then from there specifically what started to happen, which is like, it sounds so simple and no big deal, but it started with a couple of things. And one of those things was I got rid of my scale at the time. And I just made the decision that I would never own a scale again. And I would never uh, determine whether I was good or bad based on a number on a scale. And yeah, and you know, it sounded at the time like so simplistic, but now when I look back, like that was almost like that thing that I was saying to you about the, like the commitment to go into the water, right? Like I just at that moment said, I will no longer do this to myself. I will no longer say I'm good or bad based on, oh, I'm up this much weight or down that much weight. And then the other thing that I did was, and again, it just came in like quite naturally, I just started to eat spinach salads like a couple of times a week. And so it started to kind of, I think my palate started to change because of that, because up to that point, I had never, you know, iceberg lettuce was about as vegetably as I ever got. Spinach felt like this totally exotic thing to me. And so I just started to do that. And then one thing kept leading to another, kept leading to another, you know, through up until say my early thirties. And then when I had my daughter, you know, I got pregnant for the first time that really catapulted me, you know, really, really far forward in terms of taking an even deeper dive into my body and what it was going to be to trust my body as it started to go through all of these crazy changes that I feel like nobody tells you about in terms of when you get pregnant and and what's going to happen physically and mentally and emotionally. And so all of that was happening. And then at the same time, I was being compelled to really look deeply into like using a midwife and breastfeeding and how I was going to, you know, uh, deliver and, and all of that. And it was really scary for me at the time because I didn't know anyone who'd used a midwife. I didn't know people who were nursing their kids. And it was really scary to be like, I'm going to do something different than the vast majority of what I see around me. And that was another huge piece of learning to trust my body. And it didn't come right away. And it, it, you know, it came through the doing. And I guess that that's one thing that I'd like to say is that when we're talking about trusting our body, it's not going to just drop into you in one complete package, right? That like in ways, both large and small, and in ways that sometimes feel like high stakes, like it felt like high stakes when I was talking about how I was going to deliver, you know, because in my mind, it was like, well, oh my God, what if something goes wrong? And I used a midwife instead of like an OBGYN, and then I'm going to be judged. And is it going to be my fault? And so I had to pass through 
all of those thoughts that we talked about earlier, my own plus all of the social conditioning that has so medicalized birth right now, has so medicalized our bodies, it felt terrifying to go against that. And so that for me is the thing that I think sometimes people don't understand that if you're going to really come to trust your body, you're going to have to look at all your childhood thoughts and experiences, all the stuff that you were told as a kid about what your body was all about. As a woman, I have had to pass through and I continue to pass through all of what it is to be like objectified and what it means to be a woman. And, and, and a lot of that having to do with how other people feel Mm. about you, how other people feel about your body, right? Like for the longest time, it wasn't my thoughts and feelings about my body. It was like other people's thoughts and feelings about my body. So having to pass through that, having to pass through a culture right now that in a lot of ways has taken a very destructive turn towards the medicalization, the demonization, the separation of us from our bodies. And when you do that to people, you know, not only is that going to be really problematic health-wise, but you rob people of their ability to trust themselves. Because if you can't trust your body, you cannot trust yourself. And so if you're always outsourcing your medical stuff and what's happening in your body to other people, you will not, you will not have a ground to stand in, right? Because our bodies are what allows us to be here. It's the ground of all of our experience. And especially in a time period where it's becoming more and more unreal because of the technologies and the virtual realities and the way that we can be lied to and misled, you know, intellectually, your body knows the difference between what's real and not real in that regard. It knows when you're being lied to. It knows when you're being misled. It knows when there are conflicting agendas. And so that's why if people are not in their bodies, they won't have access to that information. They'll miss, they'll miss the messages and the, the deeper wisdom and the signs. What, what would you say to, to, I'm thinking women right now, especially just because you brought it up, um, but that in, even now, like we're really facing some challenges. Um, I've taken a step back, um, you know, with, with the government, you know, um, and potential risks out there of, of uh, keeping our bodies separate, um, having other people um, claiming control. Um, what are, what's, I guess, what would you say to support um, and empower a woman to reconnect with her body, even in tumultuous or scary times. Yeah, I, I would say that like claiming bodily autonomy, claiming bodily sovereignty is the most powerful act that you can ever make for yourself and for those around you. And simultaneously, it will feel like one of the most dangerous things you have ever done. Like I know that one so well and so intimately. It literally, I you know, obviously I can't speak for men, but as a woman who we are built to be in connection, we are built to belong, we are built to look to those around us and to want to be able to be in relation with them. And we will sacrifice ourselves. We will do things that don't work for us in order to keep that connection. And so I think one of the 
biggest places that we have to pass through is feeling like we won't be safe and we won't be connected if we choose to go another way than those around us. And, you know, again, this is one of those things that is really, I mean, I still see it in my own lifetimes when I've got to pass through really getting clear about, hey, is this like your idea of you and your body and what's capable, you know, especially as a woman who's just turned 60, I know now that there's plenty of people who would say that some of the things that I continue to do are like dangerous or like you should just plan on like, you know, I don't know, sliding down into the grave, you know, and like limiting what you're doing. And that is nothing that I will ever be doing because what I want to know is I want to know what's true about my body from the inside out not some, you know, line or conditioning that somebody's put on me. And I would say the biggest way that I know in order to get clear on like what is truth, what are your fears, what's being projected onto you is you have to spend time on your own. You have to spend time in quiet, in reflection. So it can be anything as formalized as a daily practice, time in the woods, uh, drive in your car and turn the radio off, get a cup of tea in the morning and look out the window and really just start to ask some basic questions of yourself. Like, how's it going for me right now? Like, what do I feel in this moment? Like what's actually happening in my body? Because the thing that I've really seen and, and, you know, and that's when it really came through for me was somewhere in like 2020, I had actually been going in a very different direction with the book that I was writing. I was writing a book initially on um, kids and technology, and the book was oriented towards parents to help them learn how to trust themselves. And through a series of events, um, one being sort of in the middle of 2020, looking around and being like, my God, people are absolutely terrified of their own bodies. They're terrified of the life forms, you know, in this case, it would be a virus, right? Like we are terrified of the other life forms that we're existing with on this planet. And that was the moment that I thought I, I just need to really pivot and take another turn in terms of like the focus of this book, because I see this as being really destructive and detrimental to not only our own lives, but to the lives of the collective if we are this afraid of life itself, we are, we're terrified. We're trying to sterilize and sanitize and control and manipulate. And we're missing the point that like life is running through us and we're meant to like figure out how to be with that and then be in relation to all of the other life forms around us. But, you know, there's been such an uptick over the decades of all the things that we are now afraid of, you know, we're, we're just, we're, you know, we're afraid of the ticks and the viruses and the mosquitoes and the birds and the, you know, everything is scary to us. And that for me is us being terrified of ourselves. It's being terrified of life itself. So again, I find that the best way to do that is you've got to spend time with yourself. You have to spend time with yourself and you have to be willing to sit through some uncomfortable feelings and start to develop some practices around how to debunk what's coming up for you, you know? And that's why in the book, I do have every chapter 
I think it's every chapter, but most chapters have like some kind of an experiential piece because that's the other main thing that I would say that to trust your body is not about amassing information. It's not about reading a book. It's not about some, you know, public health policy. Trusting your body is about being in your body, which is very different than consuming information about your body. Yes. Yes. I love Susan that you talk about your book as an invitation. It's an invitation that, you know, for you're inviting people just as you've been beautifully talking about, you know, to come back home to themselves and maybe for the first time, you know, to move through extreme discomfort and fears um, to start to listen to the wisdom that is already in us, you know, that, that so many people have been um, trained to believe that we have to continuously seek outwardly or externally for those answers and the wisdom. Um, yes, there's a lot of information out there and some helpful, but I love that you are really, um, you invite people in your book and I haven't read it yet and I'm so excited to, but just from the description in our conversation a little bit, this exquisite invitation to start just tuning in, in presence, um, in stillness, in nature, um, with our breath over that cup of tea and that slowing down um, so important and so uncomfortable. So yeah, coming. You know, and then initially, but you know, it's interesting because now at this point in my life, what I would say to you is I crave it. I yes. move towards it. I couldn't imagine a day without it because I understand what it brings to me. And even coming to the place in my life too, where when I'm in the midst of some discomfort or some upheaval, there's still typically some part of me that can hold to just like stay with this because when you pass through this, there's this level of freedom and clarity and integration that's on the other side of this. And I think that that's the thing that maybe a lot of people either haven't had an experience of or don't know that is even possible. You know, there's, it's like climbing the mountain. You know, mm -hmm. if you just focus on, oh, I'm hungry or my back hurts or I'm hot and now I'm cold. That's, that's one way of being with that experience. But if you look at that experience and say, by doing this, it brought me to the top of this mountain where I was on Saturday, looking out over the entire presidential range, looking out in a 360 degree of just utter wilderness and possibility, like no man-made structures, you know, like that's why you climb the mountain. That's why you go through the discomfort is for that vision, that perspective, that feeling that you get when you pass through it. But like, it means you have to stay with yourself long enough. And I think the other big piece, which is really runs counter to what's happening right now is you have to be willing to include everything. You know, mm -hmm. this is one of the things I talk about in the book. You have to be willing to include everything because it's all part of our experience. And there's so much of our lives, whether it's the thoughts that we don't want to have or sensations that we don't like in the body. And we try and like deny them or push them away. But if you can start to learn to include that as essential, essential information, everything starts to change with that. 
because we're not at odds, right? Like when we won't accept a certain experience that our body is having, we separate from ourselves and we kind of demonize parts of ourselves. But as soon as you can kind of bring those things back into the fold, that's what I've really discovered over time is all those ways that we separate against ourselves. When you can really hold that everything does belong, everything is here for a reason, we start to kind of knit ourselves back together. And that that sense of wholeness that we're all seeking is restored. I was just thinking about that word wholeness. It's making me think about when I, um, when I experience yin yoga um, and or have taught yin yoga. So for listeners out there, yin is, is a practice. Um, it's all about holding postures for three to five minutes and low to the ground um, and not necessarily restorative, especially when we get to the hips. Um, there's a lot of discomfort that shows up, but this practice of really, sitting in these positions, these shapes in our bodies and breathing deeply um, into the sensations and observing and staying curious and, um, and relatively still, you can move a little bit. But what I love about that is a, the visualization of like taking an old sponge and squeezing out that stale stagnant energy, you know, and not being afraid to, and then releasing in the spaciousness and light that, it fills our tissues, our muscles, but also just our that, that vitality that flows in through our body and that metaphor of when we can sit with our resistance and observe it, but also love it and embrace it, um, how it how it dissolves. Um, and we're able to, as you said, like embrace our wholeness, you know, um, not easy, but such a sacred practice to, to continue to to weave into our everyday, as opposed to, as you said earlier, you know, numb out or um, go back to the same old stepping on the scale because we think that that's, that's going to give us that answer that we need, you know, um, and look at for it externally. Um, so yeah, that's, that is amazing. Thank you, Susan, for sharing the, I love just picturing you on that, on that mountain range this weekend and that perspective shift too, when we can take ourselves there, right. That helps us to remember that we're, we're really just this tiny speck in this grand universe. Um, and it doesn't mean we're not important, but I think sometimes I'm thinking, especially going out in nature is, is really powerful for that, uh, kind of that, that ability to pull us out a little bit to remember our our bigger part of a bigger whole. (laughs) So, yeah. Because I think without that, it just doesn't make sense, right? Like nothing makes sense if you can't see from from that perspective, because otherwise it's just suffering with no point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I can't wait to read your book. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious. So one of the, the pieces or... I'm imagining for listeners out there or even someone who is curious about reading your book, but this is really new to them. Like this idea of coming back home and embodying themselves. Um, they don't trust themselves. There's also um, a message in our, unfortunately, in our society, and our culture, that self-care, um, taking the time to slow down and really take care of ourselves is selfish. What, is, what do you, what would you say um, to someone who is right now kind of, stuck in that belief and how to start to transition out of that. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I I think that that one is such an important one. And then again, I think that women more so suffer from that, that feeling like taking care of yourself is selfish or the other thing that I'm seeing right now is 
that there's a whole industry springing up around this whole thing right now and, and making something very sacred and necessary, kind of like glitzy, surfacy, you know, so, so we've also got that, right? Cause like, as soon as yeah. industries figure out they can make money off of us, you know, it starts to go in that direction as well. So when I'm thinking about that, the thing that I always say to everybody is the greatest thing that you'll ever do for another human being is to take care of yourself. Because when you are well, everybody around you is going to be well. I mean, that's the whole thing about us being mammals and, you know, herd creatures, basically. That And now with things like looking at the vagus nerve and other parts like mirror neurons of the body, we know that we're sensing and feeling each other all the time. We know that we can serve as an insulating force against stress for those in our lives. But if we are in survival mode, we're sending out signals of danger to those around us, which is then activating their fight, flight, survival response. So the only place you can start is, is within yourself. And so what I always come back to, too, you know, for me, self-care, like, are, are there massages in there? Sure. Are there other things like that? Sure. But the self-care for me really foundationally is um, taking care, like recognizing and honoring and caring for your body's most basic needs. Like what those things are that are non-negotiable for a human being to be able to thrive. And it is, it is, I think, a chapter in the book, you know, where I talk about them as like body basics, but it's, it's, um, it's breath, it's hydration, it's food, it's sleep, it's movement, it's being in good company with other people. And I know it's not the sexiest or the glitziest thing, but it really is about that. It's about learning how to feed yourself. It's about getting the rest that you need. It's about movement. Like I don't even use the word exercise because exercise to me feels so like this boring have to or something or this thing where I'm supposed to do it and then I'm bad if I don't. Right. We're built to move, right? And so, and I know you can appreciate this. It's like it on some level, it doesn't matter what you do. It's just like move your body in a way that feels good and nourishing and strengthening to you. So I would really encourage people to start really simply, you know, to start with something as basic as do you know when you need to go to bed at night? And again, this is another one of those places where our wires have gotten crossed because there's so much coming across the screen or there's so many things that we think we have to do that our mind can trick us into believing oh, I'm just going to blow past this feeling of um, being exhausted. And right. so for me, that's one of the big places when you start to get into satisfying the body's real needs, sometimes is to just ask yourself a powerful question. Like, how's it going for me right now? Oh, geez, I'm really tired. You know, like, do you even know when you're tired? Do mm. you know when you're hungry? Do you know when your body's had enough of something? Do you know when you're in the company of somebody that it doesn't feel good for you to be around? So these are all like, for me, the questions are really, you know, besides the body basic stuff, but it's about kind of wondering in our own minds, like, and like, oh, like, why do I do that? You know, like, why am I in the company of others and I like laugh when I don't think it's funny or I don't speak up when I really feel called to 
Or, you know, why am I shoving all this food down my, my throat right now? Like, why do I need to come home every night and medicate with a bottle of wine? And not as a judgment, but really curious, right? Because we have very good reasons for doing everything that we do. And all of the little, you know, habits and behaviors that we've accumulated, they've served a purpose, but you just may be coming to a place where you, like you're saying, you're starting to realize like, God, am I going to get back on that scale again? Am I going to, am I going to stay up till 2am again? Am I going to do this to myself again? You know, and, and it is through asking those questions, but really staying close to yourself. Like what's going on with me right now? Like, does this feel good to me? You know, I was just having one of the classes. I was like, it's as easy as that. Like, does this feel good to me right now? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh, Susan. I'm just, I love this. It's like divine, genuine curiosity and learning how to be curious with ourselves without the inner critic and the, and the judgment showing up so harshly, which again, takes a lot of practice and is possible just to start to soften into that. And one of my, one of my most favorite questions I ask myself and also ask, you know, explore with my clients or kids even is like, is either what is, or is this the most loving, uh, nourishing choice for me right now in my body, you know, so similar to does this, does this feel good? And starting to, sometimes I think there's such a disconnect for some people that they don't even know, but even simply starting with that can be helpful. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and again, like not the judgment, because I was talking to one of my groups recently and we were, cause we're, we're, we're looking at nourishment right now and just having the conversation about, you know, there are times when the choice to have like ice cream, for instance, can be like a deeply nourishing thing, you know, like maybe you're like with family or it's like some kind of a special thing. And then we all know the times when, you know, eating a bunch of ice cream is a way to medicate, is a way to deny, is a way. So, I mean, this is the other thing too, that I find that like, when you start to get into this place of trusting your body, you, you create an incredibly discerning mind because when you're trusting your body, it's about going beyond good, bad, right or wrong, what they say, what the experts are saying. It's about really in any given moment, like you're saying right in front of that choice, like, is this a nourishing choice for me right now? And for me, that builds like an incredible human being and an incredible population who knows how to both take care of themselves and who knows how to be incredibly discerning in a time where we have never had more like false gods, if you will, when it comes to what we need in order to be happy, safe, connected, et cetera. Yeah. 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 That's so true. It's, and it's, it's disheartening. And yet I love, I, I just, again, I said this in our last conversation, Susan, but I love connecting with people like you where I'm like, it's, it's, there's so much goodness. So out there and, um, possibility, you know, to come back to your word and with your book, um, it just sounds, it's again, it's such an invitation to help people. It sounds like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you so share, kind of, you know, the body basics, and then those start to help people explore questions that it's almost like a, a tool or a guidebook to help people start to, 
as you say, trust their body and come back to embodiment. Is that right? Like with the chapters? Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, there's, um, I think there are about eight chapters, but the core chapters for me are, um, you know, you have to be willing to be in a body. Like that's a huge one. And you have to be willing to um, listen to its language, to what it's saying to you. And then the third one, which I think is maybe the hardest for a lot of people is you have to be willing to break from a sick herd. Um, and I think that that's one of the um, really difficult realities right now, that even though we are social creatures and we are here to help and support um, and heal each other, we are in very sick times when it comes to what people are doing around their bodies and their lives. And we can no longer afford to go along with what is creating more harm and more sickness. And that is a really difficult one because we're built to belong. It's not comfortable for us to do things that are different than other people. And, you know, our people, and we all do this for very good reasons, but we don't, we don't want anybody to step outside of the herd. Right. So like if anybody out there has ever tried to, do something different or make some changes in their lives and the people around you have tried to kind of pull you and draw you back in sometimes through guilt, sometimes through shame, sometimes through various kinds of pressures. You know what I'm talking about. It can be very painful. Um, And yet, you know, like what I've seen is, you know, a couple of things are going to happen. One is, Yes, some people are going to fall away, but you're going to get in connection with other people. And then you are going to inspire other people and you are going to give other people permission in in your life to change, right? Like they might fight you in the beginning and there may be resistance there. And so I would just say, you know, I couldn't do it back then. And sometimes I still can't do it. But I would say to people, try not to take that personally. Like they're just you know, we all know deep down when our lives aren't working. We all know deep down the behaviors that we're doing when they're not working. And when someone starts to do something differently, more, you know, healthy, more, whatever you want to call it, it shines, you know, it shines that mirror. And when people don't get the reflection that they want to see back and they can't handle it themselves, they will turn it back towards you and project something back towards you. But it's just because, you know, they're desperate and and they don't want to deal with whatever it is that they don't want to deal with. So that can be like a really helpful thing is just don't take it personally. Yeah. I love that, that um, image of the mirror. I use that one a lot and it's so, it's so true. I mean, it's that whole idea, right. Of comfort zone. And a lot of times, even though people might be miserable, it's more comfortable to stay with what they know versus step out and try something new, even, um, because it's scary. Um, yeah, and, we, and we all, we want the company and the misery, right? Yes. Yeah. We don't, we don't want somebody else to break free. You know? so. Right. 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 Yeah. Wow. Susan, this has been so enlivening and inspiring and I cannot wait to read your book. So where can people, where can listeners find your book? And and would you mind saying the title again? Sure. So the title is Trusting Your Body, The Embodied Journey of Claiming Sacred Responsibility for Your Health and Your Well-Being. And I'd say the best place to go is just go to my website, rememberingwhatmattersmost.com. And that will give you a couple of choices about where to find the book. Awesome. This is amazing. One last question for you. So you just 
came to this conversation sharing about your weekend and you're, you're wanting to bring the feeling from what you experience in your body and you're over the weekend on those mountains and in the woods and in the river. Um, what are you going to do this afternoon to help kind of nourish that feeling inside of you? Mm. Well, so I, I've come out of my practice already, which was from this morning. And so the rest of the day is going to be devoted towards just kind of stepping back into, you know, going through all the emails and whatever from the week, but really and setting up the week to come, but from a place of that higher perspective, from that place of, you know, everything all is well, everything is in order. Um, you can trust the flow, the process of life. And for me, that's what nature always does is it's just that great reminder to just, everything's got its season, everything's got its timing. And we just have to show up and, and do what we do in any given moment and not be anticipating the future and how things are going to turn out, but to just be here, you know, like, like the trees are, I mean, they're not worried about the snow coming. They're not worried about the leaves falling off. They're just, they're with it, you know? So that's what I'm going to be trying to do over the course of this week. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Susan. This has been such a joy. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Thanks, Annie. I appreciate you having me here. Yes. My pleasure.